giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Alexander Holine, Vice President of Revenue and Strategy and Deputy Director of Ada Developers Academy. Alexandra, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Let's start right off the bat with giving folks a brief overview of what Ada actually is. Yeah, I'd love to. Ada Developers Academy, we are this super unique nonprofit and I think well-functioning business that um, we're tuition-free, 11-month software developing bootcamp academy for women and gender expansive people. That may sound like some of the other sort of, you know, boot camps you've seen out there, but we're completely different. We have this really cool intersection of education, social justice, equity, bringing money to the people that need money sort of like, you know, drive about us. We prioritize serving Black, Latina, um, Indigenous, Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander folks and low-income folks. And we prioritize them because they've been left out of this capitalistic system the most. And we think if we can really put money in the hands of these like gorgeous, resilient communities through the career of software development and one of the hugest wealth engines of our time, then we're going to change the world. I mean, we're crazy because it's like, you know, we're free <laughs> for our students. It's, you know, there's wraparound services, ridiculous, like not even ridiculous, just like natural and, you know, it seems unique and it seems crazy, but these things that we're doing to support our students are actually just, you know, human and basic needs, providing comprehensive support for our students financially, child care, mental health care, free laptops, um, just making sure that they're set up for success. Unlike, I think, other you know, more traditional education systems so, so they can go and be really amazing software developers. And it's proven time and time again, if you just set people up, open the door, give them the opportunity make sure that you're creating equity, then 92% of those folks, what we're seeing is our numbers are going to go out there and get full-time software development jobs. So that's Ada in like the smallest nutshell. And believe me, I'm going to tell you way more. Yeah. Well, we're going to dig into each of those things and more. I interview a lot of people who graduate from boot camps. We have a pretty wide reaching apprentice program. And I'm pretty familiar with what it looks like when people are graduating from those programs. And you can graduate from a three-month program and be successful. And I don't mean to imply that you can't be, Mm -hmm. but I do see folks who go to slightly longer programs up to 11 months, a year, like at ADA. And those people are often much more well-rounded developers, not only with the technical skills, but with all of the other skills that are important to development, how intentional was the sort of length of the curriculum? And was there a pressure early on to sort of like get people into the market faster? Yeah, great question. I think that so many, let me answer your first question, which is Mm -hmm. like, how intentional was it? It had to be at the forefront of what we wanted to do. And the reason why it had to be is that we were taking a group of people that had already been left out of the system. And we already knew that there were going to be steps that they had to take to get into, like, once they got into the tech industry, 
getting in and staying in was going to be harder than their counterparts, harder than, you know, the white dude who, you know, took apart a computer or Nintendo when they were in the eighties and growing up. And then because their dads were software engineers and then went on to college and knew they were going to be software engineers. So our founders, Scott Case and Elise Worthy were so intentional in making sure that the technical bar and the technical merit of our students coming going into industry was not what they were going to have to worry about. That was mm-hmm. not going to be the thing that kept them up at night. Thing, a thing of like, oh man, I don't know if I can t- I can do this because I don't understand it. That was not going to be it because we knew there were going to be other things. We knew there were going to be people, you know, mistaking you for the secretary. And these are examples that are all true. It's mistaking you for the secretary or the person that's like, you know, the assistant or the executive assistant when they walk into the room or that person that constantly misgenders you. We knew there were going to be other really big obstacles that they're going to have to overcome when walking into a very homogenous industry, like the software development industry of the United States. We knew that that was going to be the big thing. So being intentional about the programming that we were going to offer our students, that five and a half months, nine to five intense programming that also concentrates on which I don't think a lot of boot camps really concentrate on that CS fundamentals part of it, showing people that that is a part of the world. It's not the part of the world of the most entry level software engineers, but it is there, you know? So showing mm-hmm. them that that's there and then giving them that internship, giving them that on the job training that Ada does that no other boot camp does like we do, that sort of on the job training where you go in and you see what is that, you know, practice of what we learned in code look like in real time when you put it next to one of our sponsoring companies, TechStack. So it had to be really intentional. It was all like, I don't know if it was like, you know, yes, this has to be, this has to be perfectly like this. Like, I think we've definitely iterated and made it better over the years, but making sure that the technical bar of our students was at the technical bar of everyone else was something that we really wanted to make sure that we hit on. So they didn't have to worry about So retention was not that they couldn't, quote, hack it like Uh everyone else, like the people say, like, you know, or they didn't have the aptitude. If the retention was all about, is the company creating a good enough environment for these folks to want to stay at that point? Yeah. What is the tech stack that you're, you're teaching now? Yeah, we just switched. We talked about this for a little bit. We just switched from our beloved Ruby on Rails. We were Ruby on Rails for a very long time. Um, But we just switched to um, Python, React, JavaScript, HTML, CSS is part of our curriculum. And yeah, that's it. Python, React, JavaScript. Oh, I I don't take the switch away from Rails personally, but... (laughs) People did. People... It was a... Like, we had companies being like, what are you doing? We love Ruby. And we're like, yes, we do too, but we... We have to move forward and on. So <laughs> yeah, Ada started at the same time. Ruby sort of was in the spotlight too, eight years ago. So so is that what you're seeing in the industry now? Is Python, React, R in more development, in more demand? Yes. Yeah, we're seeing that definitely come up. We put together a steering committee for our curriculum. We made this switch. And we basically just brought in our partners to help us like, okay, what is the thing? Because, you know, our partners range... Every Mm -hmm. cohort, we have a company that sponsors the education of one of our students, and then they take that student on as an intern. So we can't please everyone. We knew we couldn't please everyone here, but we wanted to find a good middle. And Python seemed like a really good middle. Python React um, was a good middle for us to go towards for just the future. I mean, yeah, eight years from now, 
again, we'll probably be in the same place we are right now. But we say it's like teaching Spanish. We're not teaching you building out a bunch of, you know, Python engineers. We're building out people that know how to be agile, know how to learn different curriculums, know how to be flexible and all that. And know that the industry is changing and you have to be a lifelong learner, right? Like, you know this to be a part of this industry. So, yeah. Well, beyond the tech, what are some of the other things that students in ADA learn or focus on over the course of, of the program? Yeah, our, I would say our um, curriculum is sort of broken out into three distinctive pieces that are all a part of our everyday classroom. So that first part being that technical part that our students really are just getting the chops of what it means to be a software engineer, um, understanding a full tech stack, understanding the front end, back end, the APIs that all connect the stuff, just making someone the sort of bare bones of what I think is a good software engineer. The next step is that uh, social justice piece, which is head up by our equity and policy team. They're really teaching students you know, once you get in the door, it's not just about getting in the door. It's about staying in the room. And it's about, you know, not just diversity. It's about inclusion. And we're seeing that we cannot just expect just because someone's, you know, you know, decided to sponsor an ADA student, we can't expect someone knowing how to support someone that is, you know, outside of what they've supported in the past. And we know what that looks like. So we have to really create students who know what allyship looks like, know what advocacy for themselves looks like. So they can really manage up in this process, bring people in. We do not want to, you know, say someone did something or said something to me. So we're just going to push these people away because we found that when you push those people away, especially in the tech soft engineering space, you're really just left out of it. Like you're just out of the system. So we have to figure out how to change the system from within. So really teaching students how they can talk about gender expression, how they can talk about racial expression, how they can advocate for themselves while they're on the job. And the goal of all of this is actually to keep people on tech. We don't want our students having to talk about these things all the time. We want them to be talking about the tech that they're doing, just like they want. Um, And so we want to just keep things as much on tech as possible. The third part is our professional development part. How do you manage up, take yourself from that first block to that, you know, SDE2, SDE3? Um, And that's just, you know, helping folks with career development. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the inclusion piece, I imagine it's a little bit of a fine line to walk because, you don't necessarily want to put all of the work of creating an inclusive environment on the people who have been historically marginalized. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you want to set those people up for success coming out of your program. How directly do you provide training to the companies that are sponsoring? Um, completely directly. <laughs> we, we know that we have, if we can get a whole, like, you know, I would say I sign people at the CTO level mm-hmm. and like the, you know, the senior manager level that they have the, they have the budget. They're the one pulling the purse strings. But once we figure out, once you sign on as a company, your manager and mentor are going through our corporate accountability training. While our students are learning the technical part of it, our managers and mentors are going through um, a monthly training with our team to make sure they are ready to, you know, receive these interns. So when that intern comes on site, they're speaking the same language. You know, we're not only teaching the students how to be allies and advocates, we're teaching the managers how to be like so many times they're like someone on my team keeps misgendering someone and I don't know what to do. 
we had enough of those calls. So we decided to teach them what to do. Mm -hmm. Not only do we teach them, we also put them in peer learning groups together so they can teach each other what to do. Because that's where they really start listening to each other. When, you know, two folks coming from the same background are having a conversation on how to be a better manager. We love that. Yeah, that's great. And I and I think that's a really likely a very important component to overall success. Yeah. Well, let's talk economics a little bit because I've gotten up on my soapbox before around how companies have traditionally been way too comfortable saying, well, we have this position open and we're using recruiters and the position has been vacant for months. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, they're willing to pay recruiters tens of thousands of dollars trying to fill the position. (laughs) And I've always made the case like tech and the way the economics work, it would be better to invest that money that you're willing to give a recruiter into training people. Mm -hmm. When I learned about Ada, it, it really resonated with me. So what is the complete picture of, you know, how students afford to attend Ada, where the funding sort of comes from it and and how that all works out for them. Yeah, that's like, oh, you are speaking to the choir. (laughs) When I talk about this with companies, I am oftentimes like, how much did you spend on recruiting last year? And then Mm -hmm. they tell me the number and I'm like, wow, okay. We work with companies, Our part we call them our company partners because they are partnering with us to complete this mission of ADA with that we have, which is to educate more women and gender expansive people to be software engineers. What they're doing, how, our business model is super, I, it's simple, but it, it works. And it's, we wanted to remove all barriers for entry for people that wanted to become software engineers within that group. So we wanted the program to be free. We knew that was always the case. And we wanted companies. We knew that, you know, there was this kind of hole with boot camps that was out there. This was eight, you know, seven, eight years ago, mm-hmm. where it was like people were going through these boot camps and then not getting full-time jobs. And so we knew we didn't want to fall in victim to that. So what we did was put an internship on the back end and really got companies to not just put their money where their mouth is, but put their time and resources where their mouth is. That's more money. But, you know, so they pay $55,000 and that $55,000 educates the student while they're in class with us, keeps the program completely free for our students. And then the other part of their sort of, you know, buy into this whole shebang is you have to now make this person a hireable junior engineer. Because you're gonna, they're, they're going to do an internship with you. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, everyone's always like, okay, the return on investment. I'm, I'm, to me, the return on investment is you did good, company. But also <laughs> the return on investment for a lot of our company partners, I call it the icing on the cake because it is not a part of our model, is, you know, 70% of them convert their students to full-time jobs, full-time right. FTE offers from these internships. We had a company give, they sponsored six interns gave six offers, and then went on to do a hiring loop with our graduating cohort and gave another 23 offers. Wow. And this happens every six months. So these companies that are, you know, out there saying it's a pipeline problem or, you know, I'm just going to spend money on this recruiter to go find talent that I'm like, are you kidding me? We're like either in your backyard or we're a phone call, phone call, excuse me, an email away <laughs> I don't even have a fax away. We're a fa- I'm going to age myself. <laughs> I recently said, I said Rolodex to our students and people didn't know what it was. And I was so embarrassed. I was like, wow, I guess 
a LinkedIn, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but we're like, you know, the resource is there. The talent is there. We're, we have 120 students in all in our um, cohorts, and that's only growing. We're expanding to Atlanta. We're expanding to the D.C. area. It's there. So when companies are like, I don't know, we have, I've seen us move the needle at mid-sized companies. You know, there's companies like Amazon when there's over a hundred graduated eighties there, we've moved the needle. So it's like, you just got to call or Uh email at this point, you know, like Uh there's other ways to do it. And if you keep going to the same, well, you keep going to the colleges, you keep going to, you know, that recruit. Yeah. You're going to fill up the same thing over and over again. And we know 70% of jobs are got are received by you're networking with your friends and you're networking with your peers, right? And if something like 75% of the industry is like white dudes or just dudes in general, mm-hmm. then we're just going to keep bringing in the same person. And it's not just, I mean, diversity for the right thing to do. It, it is the right thing to do. But it also is like you build a better product, period. That's just better product. Yeah, the different perspectives that people have, the different blind spots that people have. When you get rid of those, you build a better product. Yeah, and we're talking about building the future here. Like this is the like we have to include the other fifty percent of the population. Mm -hmm. So it's imperative. It's so it's not necessary. It is imperative we get up to that. You know, you're at forty percent in your company. We got to get up to fifty percent. We got to get a little bit more, and we got to make sure that fifty percent is diverse on all intersections of what diversity can mean. I wanted to tell you all about something I've been working on quietly for the past year or so, and that's Agency U. Agency U is a membership-based program where I work one-on-one with a small group of agency founders and leaders toward their business goals. We do one-on-one coaching sessions and also monthly group meetings. We start with goal setting, advice, and problem solving based on my experiences over the last 18 years of running ThoughtBot. As we progress as a group, we all get to know each other more, and many of the agency you members are now working on client projects together and even referring work to each other. Whether you're struggling to grow an agency, taking it to the next level and having growing pains, or a solo founder who just needs someone to talk to, in my 18 years of leading and growing ThoughtBot, I've seen and learned from a lot of different situations, and I'd be happy to work with you. Learn more and sign up today at thoughtbot.com slash agency U. That's A-G-E-N-C-Y, the letter U. So you mentioned, you know, the companies pay to sponsor individual students. You also mentioned earlier in the conversation that you provide things like childcare. Mm-hmm. So is the pooled resources of all of those sponsorships also going to pay for those additional benefits while in the program or is the money, uh, do you have other source of funds? Yeah. I mean, we are still very much so a nonprofit. <laughs> we have a lot, a good amount of philanthropic dollars coming our way. We, and it's individual donors. I would say one of our biggest clumps of donors, our biggest group of people that donate to ADA are our alumni. You know, they come out with 160% salary change. And they mm-hmm. are the first people to see the value in giving back to ADA. We also have some major donors out there. Um, we just got a pretty large expansion grant from uh, the Pivotal folks, which is Melinda Gates, French Gates, Mackenzie Bezos, and the Schusterman Foundation. They invested $10 million in helping us expand. That expansion is just like, you know, the expansion to serve more students. Wraparound services mostly comes from philanthropic dollars. So donating to what we do, donating to keep our program equitable 
equitable is always very much needed because about 10% of our budget is all philanthropic dollars. Mm-hmm. And that's covering those wraparound services, barriers to entry. Is healthcare one of the wraparound no, services that you I provide? Mean, I mean, if the U.S. government gets it right, then I'm sure after they get it right, we'll follow <laughs> suit. But I mean, we're trying. We, we, we're trying to do it differently. You know, we're trying to see, meet mm-hmm. people where they are and see like the reality of people's situations. Then the reality is that if you're a woman or gender expansive person and you want to take this chance, we offer a zero interest, either loan or a zero interest grant that comes directly from ADA or from our partner, Community Credit Lab. And that's a zero interest loan where we don't even check your credit. We, If you're in it with us, then we're going to get it in it with you. So this zero interest mm-hmm. loan and that zero interest loan just gets recycled back to serve more people. So that zero interest loan is while you're in class for that five and a half months, you're going to need still some money coming in. So we make sure you still have money coming in. The stipend hits when you get to internships. So from that 55000 about you know 17 goes directly to the student, their stipend while they're interning. Mm-hmm. Also, we give a childcare stipend. Um, we're looking for a childcare partner out there because we really want to be able to make this more of a national program, but we're looking for that out there. But we give that stipend out to folks so they can pay for daycare or whatever they may need so they can actually come to the program. We have a laptop program where you, know, you need a Mac to come to ADA. Everyone can't afford a Mac. We take donated Macs from companies that, you know, companies sometimes, I think it's a two-year life cycle or life cycle. Se- yeah, two-year life cycle for their mm-hmm. Mac. So we can use it for another couple of years. So we take donations from Macs and we also have a fund that we fund every year so people can buy a Mac. And my favorite, and I think one of the most needed things is we partner with Better Health um, and offer our students free therapy while they're in classroom and while they're in their internship and a little bit after that as well. The free therapy was just, you know, we're in a pandemic and it's hit women yeah. hard. It's hit gender expansive folks hard, parents, brown folks. It's hit people hard. And so we're like, hey, why don't we, while you're in a pandemic, send you through the most rigorous part of your life? Um, and so that it, making sure we were supporting people all around was really important us and it did nothing but create success for us like this did not make a a deficit in our bottom line this actually created more success for us we saw when we did this you know we got more people graduating we get more people donating back we get more people paying back their loans faster so it just does nothing for the community but make it better and stronger so we're going to continue to do it it's going to continue to always be a part of who we are at ada but the wraparound services are the key to the success. That's fantastic. So you mentioned you're expanding. Where is the original location? Seattle. We are a Seattle-based school. And you're expanding to Atlanta and DC, you mentioned. Yeah. Um, we first went digital because Well, I was know. gonna that's what I was gonna ask <laughs> is 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 how have you dealt with the pandemic with a primarily in-person model previously? And then how has that affected your expansion plans? Yeah, I mean the pandemic you know, it was shitty and just horrible on so many ways. Yeah. And it also, out of a lot of, you know, shitty and horrible times, it creates a lot of innovation. And that's what it did. Our leadership team is a group of brown parents and they went to work immediately. Like we switched from being a in-person classroom where like, you know, there's a lunch club and a push-up club and there's like hugs everywhere and to being a 100% online program in like three days Mm -hmm. with systems and companies were coming to us saying, how are you creating community in this time? So 
we did it very quickly. It taught us that we can educate people digitally. So the first thing we decided to do is like, you know, we've got our digital cohort up and running. So there's, you know, still, I would say in quotes, our Seattle cohort and digital cohort, but digital cohort basically means you're partnering with a company that is fully digital and they have no, you know, they're not attached to anything geographically. And that helped us expand to Atlanta because it helped us jump, like, you know, sort of jump over the hurdle of like, oh, we have to go get a brick and mortar. We have to set up this brick and mortar. Instead, we just decided to educate people still digitally. If you're in an Atlanta cohort, you're still having your education 100% online and your internship is going to be in person with an Atlanta-based tech company. So you might be butt in seat in Atlanta later on, but mm-hmm. we can educate you digitally. So we didn't have to like slow this down. Um, we saw the need, just like the amount of women that lost their jobs in the pandemic. We were completely energized by the fact that we can do this. We have people that believe in us. They're giving us money. They're funding this. We can do it. So we went for it. And Atlanta is the first campus. We already have staff there. We already have a um, campus director on point there. And then the next expansion will be to the DC area. And we're excited to do the same thing, you know, it's and educate them digitally because that's what we've been doing for the last two years and we're good at it and find button seat partnerships in DC because that's how we can really make sure we have good programming that we know we can do and then give them to um, the sponsoring companies to complete their programming with the internship. So where are the sort of current limits of growth for you then? Current limits for growth? I mean, we got we've been such a like a Seattle-based place. Mm-hmm. And COVID pushed us into that national arena. So, you know, not a lot of people outside of our geography know who we are. Pacific Northwest was our sweet spot because people used to have to move to Seattle to be a part of ADA. So we got a lot of Californians. We got a lot of Oregons, um, Montana, Idaho, some Floridians because Florida knows about they. We have a very huge population of Floridians. I don't know how they know, but they know. Our thing is, how do we get the ADA Developers Academy name and model out to the rest of the country so they know that we are here and we're an option for them if they want to become a software engineer? And right now, I it sounds like you have your sights just set on the United States, not yeah. internationally. Not international. I always joke about an Ada at sea, but we'll see. I mean, I give it like, you know, give me 10, 20 years to get that spun up, but I would just love to, you know, (laughs) but yeah, Yeah. it's going to be, we're looking at, we, over the next five years, there'll be five markets in Ada. By 2025, we're hoping to educate 10,000 women and gender expansive people. We just graduated a class of 72 last Thursday. And, you know, we just admitted another class of 120 that starts in March. So we're chugging. Um, But right now it's Seattle, digital, Atlanta, DC. I imagine there'll be a Southern region and then probably a Midwest region coming after that. So, and then you have the digital, the purely digital cohort too. Yep. And that's the sort of six market, purely Mm -hmm. digital, which means, you know, you're, there's so many companies that went fully remote and have no plan on coming back. Um, and so that's just a market that we want to make sure that we're some people and we want people to opt into that. That's for some people who want to be fully remote forever. Some people are seeing that they need some sort of community while doing this work. And so they want to have a button seat internship and there's every which way in between. So we'll figure it out as we move through this pandemic, like the rest of the folks. Yeah. You shared some numbers there, and I I think sometimes it's good to put that in context because people don't realize that 10,000, on one hand, it sounds like a small number in the grand scheme of the United States, but actually it's a very large number. The U.S. only graduates around 65,000 CS graduates a year 
yeah. in the whole United States. Yep. So it's just huge. to put that in context for people. I mean, I looked at the numbers for our, I'm in Seattle and I'll just say there's mm-hmm. a college here, a large college here in Seattle, and they graduated 300 CS folks last year and 20% of them were women. Mm-hmm. And we graduated in six months, 72 women in gender expansive. And our focus is brown folks, low socioeconomic folks. So you could just imagine underneath that umbrella of women, even under that, mm-hmm. the diversity that you see, we're getting up there with some of our colleges and we're doing this every six months. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so and it's a powerful model. It's a reason why I've been here for six years. It's a reason why I've, you know, I get really excited talking about this <laughs> program. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but I get really excited talking about it because once people get in, they they love being a part of our programming. They love being a partner with us. And it's a cool place to be. It, it, it just feels like a transformative place right now. And I think that we can really make a difference. Yeah, your excitement and the uh, I, I'm a big believer in the opportunity. Your excitement is clear <laughs> when you're talking <laughs> about it. How did you get into this work? Yeah, I was in recruiting before I was, I did technical recruiting contractor for a few different places. And I just saw the amount, and I came from a working class. My family's from the deep South in Louisiana. And the average income from the town I'm from is $26,000. And that is... That was my reality. Mm -hmm. And then when I started technical recruiting, it was insane. Mm -hmm. The amount of wealth that was a part of this, like this churn, the going to these colleges, early recruiting, paying people $6,000 a month, paying them a living stipend, making sure they had a plane ticket home, hot air balloons, tours of like people's, you know, these millionaires houses. I was like, holy crap, like this has to be more readily available. And I, again, like, you know, having two working class black parents, they didn't even know what software development was. We didn't even know that was a possibility. I didn't even, my dad was like, we're getting a computer because he wanted to be like, you know, on the forefront. And we got, you know, that clear Mac that was like a purple color. We had that purple (laughs) one, you know? And my dad was like, we've won. But, you know, still there was kids in my school and in my college that had been around computers their whole lives, their schools had programming and things. So they just had that extra step. My opportunity to see in was the recruiting. And after that, I was like, okay, where do I find the intersection of this and what I want to do, which is, you know, making sure that black folks have money. <laughs> that is yeah. to be crude about it. If we work in the work and live in a capitalist society, then I want us to have some coins to play. And that is where I found Ada. And that's where I found this. I love having this, um, this place. I just get to be a part of this place where I just get to open doors or show people a door. They can open it themselves and go through and just, you know, that that's the amazing part of me. Have yeah. a part of this all is watching people change their lives, buy their grandparents' homes, you know, pay off their student debt, get a divorce, anything they want to do, but to have the agency to do it in this world we live in and society we in it. And that's all I care about is that agency. Yeah. So, yeah, I was in, I was very privileged to be exposed to computers really early on and get to experience that spark yeah. of, I love this. This is what I want to do. And I talked to so many people who just never had that opportunity to discover that that was even a thing that they could do, let alone love. Yeah. It's just incredible when I meet someone, you know, who's like a plumber, you know, and, and then, and then they somehow get that 
exposure to computers or technology and you see that spark go off for them and it's it's amazing it's so cool it's one of my favorite like our admissions process is pretty rigorous yeah i think the average like it's like a 15 or 20 percent depending on the cohort admissions process and to hear how obsessed these like airline stewardess or hairdressers Mm -hmm. or mothers are obsessed with coding i'm like yes yes or like these folks who were like oh you know we had this woman who you know she was an immigrant from um she like fled israel and she came to the u.s and she's like the only thing she knew about coding before she started was she had one time saw someone with two screens in a movie (laughs) <laughs> and she was like, saw them like on the computer and she saw two screens. And then she started going through, like finding free stuff online. She found Ada. And this person's like sitting in front of me talking about how like, you know, geek they are about arrays and loops. And I'm like, yes, this yes. is amazing. Yeah. And to watch that person graduate a year, less than a year later with just the salary that she got from mm-hmm. Microsoft and just like the feeling that she felt when she got to call home and say like, hey, I'm a software engineer now. I was like, all day. I could all day. That's like the gravy for this. Yeah. It has nothing to do with aptitude. It has everything no, to do with opportunity. Gosh. Yeah. Opportunity is, yeah, it's everything here. Yeah. Well, that's great. And Ada is providing folks with that opportunity. And I am so excited to hear about it and, and share it with our audience. Um, hopefully students <laughs> are listening and want to sign up, but also those, those sponsoring companies too, right? Yeah, for sure. Sponsoring companies too. We love you too. Like you keep the you keep the wheels on this bus. So definitely give us a call. So if folks want to get in touch, where's the best place for them to do that? Um, our website. That's the best place to start. AdaDevelopersAcademy.org. And there, there's stuff on corporate partnership. It actually leads you right to, if you you know sign up on the partner's email list, it'll lead you right to my email. And then for students, we have a full admissions. Our admissions opens in March for the next Atlanta cohort. There's going to be 48 seats in Atlanta, 60 seats digitally, and 60 seats in Seattle. I would say get ready for that, but our website. Awesome. Yep. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm, along with all those links that Alexandra just mentioned and a transcript of the entire episode. If you have questions or comments, email us at host at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.